Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Dave. I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. Did you hear that? $485,000 invested in planting churches around the world and 24 churches planted last year, bringing our total church plants around the world to 160. Did you catch that 13% of everything given to Good News Church is invested intentionally in planting churches around the world? That means that I get to thank each of you who have given this year for your investment in planting churches around the world because your dollars given to Good News Church make a direct impact on people, not only here in St. John's County, but around the world. So thank you to all of you who have given in this past year. As we come to the end of the year, uh, I would just encourage any of you who would be willing to consider an additional gift to Good News Church that you would consider your investment here because it has a great return. It has a great return in planting churches around the world. It has a great return here in St. John's County. This week, we had the opportunity to see four different people represented by these life rings, four different people who profess faith in Jesus Christ and two additional evangelists. That brings the total of evangelists this year to 44 and brings the total number of people that those 44 evangelists led to faith in Christ here in St. John's County to 160. So thank you. Thank you for your investment in what God is doing here in this place and to the ends of the earth. Let's pause and just thank God because he is doing so much. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are at work. And the churches that shine the brightest around the world shine the brightest here at home too. So Lord, continue to make us a church that shines brightly here in our community. Continue to pour out your Holy Spirit on your people that we might be your witnesses. And Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged this morning as we consider in a fresh way just exactly who you are, Jesus. Thank you that during this time of year, people's spiritual windows are open to conversations about spiritual things. And Lord, may we be encouraged this morning and may the gospel catch fire in our hearts this morning as we hear your word so that we might be emboldened to enter into gospel conversations where we live, where we work, where we play with people that you would bring into our path, that, Lord, you would encourage your people this morning, that we have the greatest news that's ever been told about the greatest person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Hey, I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to look at uh, one last I am, and it's to answer the question that Jesus asked of us and his disciples, who do you say that I am? Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read just, as, just verses 15 through 18, and, and then we'll 
look at more of the passage together as we go along this morning. But let's give our attention to the reading of God's word because this is God's word to us. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Hey, have y'all heard that in 2022, my wife and I welcomed a grandson into the world? Have y'all heard that? Now, listen, if you're new, I only talk about my grandson Hudson like every week. Um, I don't know how long it'll last that I'll keep talking about Hudson. He's so adorable. <laughs> Probably when he starts talking and talking back, then I'll get you know, tired of him. No, of course I won't. I really think that if we could find a way to just stream Hudson's life on our television, we would cancel our subscriptions to Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. You always talk about what you love. It's easy for me to talk about Hudson and to share pictures of him as he grows up. We always love to talk about what we love. We always move toward what we gaze at. And that's why last week I invited you to gaze at Jesus. Just to remind you again of how we finished last week, I read this quote from uh, Don Everts, God in the Flesh. Oh, for a church that would think on Jesus, stare at him, be amazed by his life. Oh, that we would all major in Jesus and nothing else. What if that were true of Good News Church? That we just majored on Jesus, that we just stared at him and were amazed by him and nothing else. You know, if we fell in love with Jesus, if we experienced the love of Jesus Christ deep in our hearts, do you know what? We would start talking about him. We would start sharing him with others. We couldn't help ourselves. Many years ago, Dawson Troutman who founded the ministry The Navigators, said this, Soul winners are not soul winners because of what they know, but because of the person they know. How well they know him and how much they long for others to know him. This week, as we anticipate Christmas Eve, I want to take one more shot at laying before you, especially you believers in Jesus. I want to take one more shot at laying before you the person of Jesus Christ. 
who he says he is in hopes that this week, as your hearts are captured by the love of Jesus Christ, you will be eager to share who you love, that Jesus Christ would capture your affections, capture your love, and, and you'd be eager to invite You'd be eager to bring, you'll be eager to welcome people here on Christmas Eve. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, I want you to listen too, but I'm particularly speaking this morning to believers. And it's a good time for us to check in on our hearts, to check in, because all this month we've been distracted by so many other things. Haven't we been distracted by the news, by advertisements, by our shopping list, by the personal concerns of our own health and wellness? We've been so distracted this month. Oh, I just long for us to check in with Jesus this morning, just as he did with his disciples. Go up to verse 13. Jesus is a master disciple maker. Jesus is a master evangelist. Jesus is a master conversationalist. And Jesus teaches us how to ask questions. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus asks over 300 questions? You know, he's asked about 180 questions. So he is asked 180 questions. Do you remember he's the way, the truth, and the life? And he's only asked 180 questions in the course of his biographies and the Gospels, 180 questions, but he asks over 300. Most of them in response to questions he's asked. In fact, he only gives a direct answer to a question about three times in the Gospels. But he asks questions again and again and again because Jesus is always trying to check in with people, check in with their hearts, check in whether they're tracking with who he is and what he's come to do. And that's what he does with his disciples. He checks in. He came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they've left Galilee, and they've traveled 25 miles from Galilee to the north into a place that's predominantly Gentile, to a pagan city, Caesarea Philippi, that's 25 miles north of Galilee, just at the base of Mount Hermon where he will be transfigured in the next chapter before his disciples, revealing even more of his glory. But as he's traveled to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, he checks in with them and he asks this first question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He starts with a general theological question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So as Jesus has been going about his ministry, there's a number of opinions that have been 
passed around about his identity, who he is. Jesus moves from this general theological question to a penetrating question that gets to the heart of where his disciples are and where we are this morning. He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This is the most important question that anyone could ever answer. This is the most important question that anyone could ever know the answer to. In fact, you could say that this question is the key to everything. On my keychain here this morning, there is one key that will open my home. It's this key right here. This key will open my home. There's only one key on my keychain that can open my house. And there's only one answer to this question that can open the door of heaven. Do you know the answer? Do you know the answer to the question, who do you say I am? If you know the right answer to this question, it'll open the gates of heaven. If you have the wrong answer this morning, I pray that you'd come to know who Jesus is. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. The Greek word for Christ is Christos. And in the Old Testament, the word that was used was the word Messiah. They both mean the same thing, anointed one. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he is saying, you are the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who has been promised for thousands of years and who has now come into the world. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there are over 300 predictions about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, over 300 predictions of who Jesus Christ would be when he comes, who the Messiah would be when he comes, more than 300. Now, in the last century, a mathematician took the time to investigate and he decided the probability as a mathematician, the probability of a person, one person fulfilling just eight of those predictive prophecies in the Old Testament, the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of them was one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power. That's 100,000 trillion. And that's only eight predictive prophecies in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ fulfills literally hundreds of Old Testament promises pointing to who he would be, where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would live, how he would die, how he would be raised. 
hundreds of predictive prophecies fulfilled by Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. He is the Christ, the one promised in the Old Testament, the one who would come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now this is Christmas week, so let's just consider eight promises that Jesus fulfills in his birth. The Old Testament promised that Jesus would be born of a woman, and so he was, of, of Mary. Jesus, the Old Testament promised that he would be born in the line of Abraham, the Jewish people, and so he was. Not only would Jesus come through Abraham, but Jesus would be born of his son Isaac, the son of promise given to Abraham. And so Jesus would come not through the other line of Abraham, but through the line of Isaac. That he would come not only through Isaac, but he would come through Jacob and not of Esau. And so Jesus was born through the line of Jacob, not Esau. And that within the line of Jacob, he would be born to the tribe of Judah. And so Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. And that not only would he be born of the tribe of Judah, he would be born through the kingly line of David. And so he was born of the kingly line of David. And not only that, he would be uniquely born, born of a virgin. And so he was born of a virgin named Mary. And not only would he be born of a virgin, the Old Testament predicted where he would be born, in Bethlehem. And so it was that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now that's eight promises just about the birth of Jesus. And there's hundreds more that point to his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus uh, said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus, Jesus understands that Peter, although he has been looking at Jesus' life, as, although he's been considering all the evidence that has to do with where Jesus would be born and how he would be born and how he would live, Jesus knows that Peter would never believe in Jesus, and none of us would, if it weren't for God's amazing grace. Because the initiative for believing in Jesus doesn't rest with us, it rests with God, that God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative and reveals to us, reveals to our heart, and confirms internally the identity of Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Simon, Barjona, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This confession, this statement of faith, that Jesus is the Christ, this is the foundation upon which the church will be built. The confession, the acknowledgement of Jesus as Savior and Lord, the anointed one sent from the Father to save his people from their sins, this is the thing that will build the church. And where is the church to go? This is the, this is the amazing part. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus has brought his disciples to one of the most pagan places he could ever bring his disciples. He's brought them to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi had always been a place of pagan worship. Before Jesus came, during the time of the Greeks, and as Jesus came into the world, Caesarea Philippi was known as a place of pagan, unbelieving worship. And in Caesarea, there was a temple to a particular deity, the god of Pan, who was worshipped by the Greeks, and they believed that in this cave was the very entrance to hell itself. Jesus says, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, when it is believed and proclaimed, it has the power. Jesus Christ can be taken to the nations, to the unbelieving nations. And when he is proclaimed to the unbelieving nations, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Many years ago, a man named C.T. Studd, C.T. Studd was a cricketer. That doesn't mean anything to us. He played cricket. He was a professional cricket player. It would, this story would be as if, as if Tom Brady became a radical convert to Christianity and began proclaiming Christ everywhere he went. That's what happened to C.T. Studd. This professional cricket player became a Christian, and he began proclaiming Christ everywhere he went. During his life, in one particular interview, he said this, I, some may want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. When Jesus Christ captures the hearts of his people, they are willing to take the gospel to places and to people who are far from God. And Jesus gives the promise that, the, that the, his identity as the Christ, the Son of God, that confession, that belief, that conviction, when it becomes real in the heart, has the ability to propel us out to the dark places of St. John's County to preach Christ where he's not yet known. 
It has the ability to propel us out. This gospel of grace, when it moves into the heart, it has the ability, believers in Jesus, it will propel you out to the nations to give and to pray and to go until the one-third of the planet who don't yet know the name of Jesus come to know the name of Jesus. That's what happens when the gospel is believed. When the gospel is believed, it sends us out, it propels us out to tell who Jesus is in the darkest, lostest places that we can find. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to give you authority that when you proclaim the gospel, people are going to be set free. The good news of the kingdom can set anyone free. The person bound, the lostest person you know. Many years ago, I was a student at Presbyterian College. And another student on campus was challenged to pray. Pray for the lostest persons you know on your campus. And he put Dave Aukerman at the top of his list. And he said, God, if you could save Dave, you could save anyone. And he prayed, God, bring a person into Dave's life who could share the gospel with them, and I'm willing to be the answer to my own prayer. He prayed for me, and he prayed for me, and it seemed like God wasn't going to answer his prayers. So he stopped. After 30 days of prayer, he stopped. And then 45 days after he had begun, I walked into the Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, and I heard the gospel. Jesus Christ longs to be known among the lostest and the last and the least. Who is the most lost person you know on your list of people that you're praying about inviting on Christmas Eve? You have the authority of King Jesus. He says, when you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ, the lostest can be converted to faith in me. The least can be converted to faith in me. Who's the most lost person you have on your list? Don't be unbelieving. Be believing that Jesus Christ can save anyone. He saved me. He saved you, believer in Jesus. Jesus Christ gives authority to us as we preach the gospel. The hope isn't in our winsomeness. The hope is in the power that sets captives free. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. This messianic secret, you'll see it throughout the gospels where Jesus tells people, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. What's that about? I've often wondered, why does Jesus go around telling people not to tell anyone? Is he using reverse psychology? Maybe he's after something here. Maybe he's onto something. 
don't invite anyone to Christmas Eve service. <laughs> the reason is because Jesus understood his message and Jesus understood his mission. He knew why he had come. And he did not want anything to distract him from his mission. What was his mission? Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. The baby that was born in Bethlehem was destined to die in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ came on a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, we have these words of the Apostle Paul. I delivered to you as of first importance the gospel that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is that that child born in Bethlehem was destined to die in Jerusalem. Why did he die? He died for our sins. As our substitute, that all of us had sinned and come short of the glory of God. The bad news of the gospel is that we all have a problem called sin. We've all committed crime after crime after crime against God, and the God that we've sinned against is holy, holy, holy. And the penalty for our crime after crime after crime against God is death. Separation from God and, and everything good for all of eternity. That's the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is this, that God took our sin and put it on Jesus Christ. And he died for us. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. What we deserve is death. But God placed our sin on Jesus and punished him in our place. And on the third day, having borne the sin of his people, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What do you do with a Savior like that? What do you do with someone who loves you like that? You turn from everything that's not him, and you trust in him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. You turn from everything that you might now be looking to for salvation. Your looks, your grades, your performance, your good works. The problem with all our good works is they just don't work. You turn from those things and you trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. That if we confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you?
Have you trusted in Christ for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Won't you today turn from whatever source of salvation you might be trusting in and trust in Christ? You can do that right where you're sitting or come up after the service. I'd be happy to help you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, does the love of Christ control you? Have you concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us? No one compares with Jesus. Jesus set his intention to live and die and rise for us. Don't let anything obscure or cover over the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't be like Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Lift high the cross. The love of Christ proclaimed that all the world might know and respond to his glorious name. Oh, dear people, don't let anything, the ornaments, the candles, the trees, the gifts, don't let anything obscure in your mind or your heart this week the glories of the fact that the baby born in Bethlehem came to die on Calvary. Don't let anything obstruct cover over, distract you from the cross and the resurrection. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ. May my heart and mind be filled with wonder at what Jesus Christ did. He set himself with intention to live and die. And he rose again from the dead to show that it was all true. May I never boast, but in the cross. Now, what do we do? What do we do this week? We've heard the gospel. For some of you, you need to believe the gospel. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, what I would invite you to do this week is to ask someone this week, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? It is the most important question you could ever ask anyone. Mark Edwards, who wrote the study, Knowing Him, says this, In the humanistic, materialistic, self-centered world in which we find ourselves, the question of who Jesus is doesn't fit very well. There's no time for contemplating that question because we are all too consumed with who we are 
In the eternal scope of things, the most important question you will ever answer is, who is Jesus and what do we do with him? I've armed you this morning with some truth that Jesus is the Christ, that just eight prophecies fulfilled by one person has a one in 10 to the 17th power chance of happening, and yet it happened, not just with eight, but with hundreds of Old Testament promises. You've been armed with some truth about who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Armed with that truth, with that in your back pocket, have just a little bit more confidence to go to someone this week. You know something they probably don't know. Ask them with that truth in your back pocket, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? And then listen to their answer. Thank them for their honesty. Show value to the relationship you have with your friend. Listen to their answer. And then ask permission. Ask permission. Thank you so much for sharing with me what you believe about Jesus. Could I share with you one reason why I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And then share with him what you've been learning this week and throughout our series on the great I Ams. Share with them something that's become meaningful to you about Jesus Christ. But it starts with a question and listening to your friend. Ask someone this week, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? You know what will move us to do that? The love of Christ for us. The love of Christ controls us because we know this, he died for all, therefore all died that the life we now live, we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Can I be honest? I just long for the day when I'll go through a whole message and not think to myself, I wonder how I'm doing. <laughs> just once. I would finish a message and think, oh, Jesus I thought of nothing but you that whole time. I was controlled by the love of Christ that whole time. I long for that. Pray for me, won't you? And I'll pray for you. That the love of Christ would control you. That everywhere you go, you couldn't help yourself. You just have to ask, who is Jesus Christ? armed with the truth of the gospel, you'll be willing to listen to your friend as they share with you. And if you have the permission to share with them something that you've come to know about Jesus Christ, oh, join us. Join us on Christmas Eve. Join us on Christmas Eve. You'll hear a message about the greatest person who ever lived Join us on Christmas Eve. You'll meet some people. You'll meet some people who are so filled with love for this man, Jesus Christ. Come, join me in worship on, on Saturday. And if you don't have a church home, oh, come and, and be a part of Good News Church and come and see 
who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. Jesus, may your love control us. May your love flood our hearts. A love that would chase us all the way to the cross. That you set your face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. You made it your intention to go to Jerusalem, for only there could you die in our place. Only there could you bear our cross. Only there could you pay the full and awful penalty that our sins deserved. And so you did. Leaving heaven and coming to earth, born of the virgin, born in a stable, born, you lived to die. And in paying the full and awful penalty our sins deserve, you rose from the dead. If you are here this morning, Jesus is here, and if you've never put your trust in him, won't you? Won't you say to him, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived and died and rose again. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you made me to be. And Lord, for each of us here who are followers of you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the person and work of Jesus Christ and press it into our hearts and fill us with such joy that we couldn't help but share with others. Using the same strategy you used of asking a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Oh, the conversations your Holy Spirit could enable us to have this week. Lead us, I pray, in your name. Amen. Please stand as we leave worship.